Thank you, um, Brother Jerry. Thank you, ladies. Great thoughts, great songs. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sunday nights, I think probably everybody or most everybody here at least knows that we are working through a series on Bible doctrine. Uh, I want us to understand what uh, we teach here at Bible Baptist Church because it's in the Bible. I want us to understand why we believe and teach what we teach. Uh, you begin your Christian walk learning what the Bible teaches. You become wiser and mature in your faith by learning why you believe uh, things are biblical or non-biblical. Much of Christianity has been watered down in our day and age because things that were biblical things were removed because someone ignorantly thought that they were just someone's uh, opinion. And in other cases, uh, many churches and Christian people have been hurt because things that were just someone's preference were elevated to the level of a key doctrine. I pray God would give us grace and wisdom to recognize uh, the difference uh, because it would help us. Amen? Uh, sound doctrine, of course, is the key to our spiritual stability, our stability in life, and therefore the Scriptures teach us to give attendance to doctrine, pay attention to it, take heed uh, to doctrine. It warns that in the last days some would depart from the faith and then exhorts believers to earnestly contend for the faith, and we certainly cannot take heed to nor contend for key doctrines in the Bible if we don't know what they are. And so we're spending a lot of time on that uh, together. We actually spent eight whole messages on doctrines related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and specific sins against the Spirit because it is a doctrine that is so misused in, uh, for the last 120 years, uh, actually. And then last week in a related subject, we spent a whole message talking about what happened to the sign gifts. And we saw the Bible promise that the sign gifts would one day no longer be needed to confirm the Word because the New Testament would be completed. And since that time, God has used the Bible itself to confirm the Word so that we would know what messages were true and what messages were true versus those that are false rather than signs. And we were all challenged to interpret our life experiences and what others say about their experiences in light of the Scriptures instead of interpreting the Scriptures in light of or to fit our experiences. As I said earlier, last week's thought was a little deeper than usual. I hope that you didn't get all of it, that you got the gist of it. And uh, tonight is also a little deeper as well, uh, but I don't think quite as complicated as last week. And our subject tonight, just like last week, is one of the significant differences in a biblical church, a biblical Baptist church, and a charismatic one. And by charismatic, I mean Pentecostal or holiness. And there's two groups of the Church of God, one from Anderson, Indiana, and one from Cleveland, Tennessee. And the Cleveland, Tennessee group tends to be more Pentecostal in nature. And this is one of the things, again, like last week, that differentiates a biblical church from those kinds of, of churches. And as I said last week, uh, the issue with our subject tonight is not the sincerity of the people involved. Uh, the issue is the truthfulness of 
what is being done in the name of Christ. That's the issue, not sincerity. Uh, the spiritual gift of tongues has been a hot-button topic for the last 120 years among Christian people. And my heart's desire is that you would believe God and believe what God has said about this issue. Uh, I believe when we line up our life, our doctrine, the things we do in the house of God and in ministry, when we line those up with, with uh, the teaching of the Scripture, it will bear fruit in ministry, our life will bear fruit, and we will have the kind of stability in life that our Creator intended for all of us. And before I start tonight, I want to just also make sure you understand that I am not making fun of or belittling anybody. Uh, I could have very easily uh, got some YouTube videos of people uh, speaking, doing what they call speaking in tongues and, and showed them to you. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. If you want to do that, you can look them up on, on the YouTube. They're all over the place. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is I want to focus on what the Scriptures teach and what they do not teach about this issue of tongues. Now, when Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, there was a lot of confusion uh, regarding the spiritual gifts in the church in Corinth. Uh, it was manifested in many ways that they were an immature and a carnal church. And one of those ways was in the ways they handled the spiritual gifts. And by the way, in like manner, there's a lot of confusion today caused by the misuse of the spiritual gift of tongues. Uh, but that is not because of the clarity of Scripture. If you're going to pay attention tonight and, and follow along, I think you'll walk away saying, wow, you know what, the Bible's pretty clear on, on this uh, issue. And everything is going to boil down to a, this issue, whether we're going to interpret what people say they're doing in light of the Scriptures, or whether we're going to do, like so many do, uh, look at the Scriptures in light of their experiences. For, for instance, let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, uh, my cousin's husband was uh, killed. Uh, he was going uh, bowling, and uh, he was getting off the highway. He was on the exit ramp, and some guy uh, who was really drunk was coming the other way, the wrong way, in the exit off ramp, hit him head on. Uh, this was in a day and age when, uh, you know, things like airbags were not mandatory and the steering wheel uh, jammed up into his chest and uh, he was literally in the car, bleeding to death, screaming in pain. And what I was told is that at that time, uh, some man, a Christian man, got out of his car, came up to the window and began praying over him in tongues. And what I was told was that uh, his pain stopped there, and he stopped screaming before he died there uh, behind the wheel of that car. Here's the situation. Am I going to interpret that experience in the light of the Scripture, or am I going to interpret Scripture in light of that experience? If I interpret Scripture in light of that experience, I would walk away and say, wow, Praying in tongues is an effective way to pray when things are desperate. If I interpret that experience in the light of the Scripture, I would walk away and say, do you know what? God honored the sincere heart's desire of a Christian man for someone who is hurting 
despite the fact that he was babbling on in something he didn't understand. By the way, I hope he shared the gospel in English with my cousin's husband before he died there. Go ahead and stand, if you would, tonight, please, in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought tonight is, What is the Spiritual Gift of Tongues? What is the Spiritual Gift of Tongues? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. God hath set, by the way, before we go on notice, He calls the church of Corinth a body of Christ. They're not part of the body of Christ, though that would also be true, but they are also a body of Christ. A Bible Baptist church, we are a body of Christ here. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church. Notice he's going to list them in order. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles. Then, gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now he's going to ask some rhetorical questions. To which the answer to these is obviously no. Here's his rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. I think you might be seated. Now, today, many charismatic Christians are being told they cannot even be sure they're saved unless they speak in tongues. Because according to the theology of many charismatics, uh, everyone with the Holy Spirit living in them will speak with tongues. Uh, that is commonly taught even though we just read that it is very clear that even when the spiritual gift of tongues was active, not all believers spoke with tongues. The implication of every one of those rhetorical questions in verses 29 and 30 is no, no, all are not apostles. No, all do not uh, prophesy. No, all do not heal. Of course, no, all do not speak with tongues. Now, it is sad to me when I think about all these sincere Christians, many of which are genuine Christian people, they have no calm assurance of their salvation because they're falsely being taught that the Holy Spirit does not live in them unless they manifest the gift of tongues. Please hear me that what goes on today in the average charismatic church is very different from the New Testament. The charismatic church emphasizes the gift of tongues in sharp contrast to the fact that there is no emphasis on the spiritual gift of tongues in the New Testament. Uh, we won't take time because you couldn't really look at it like this, but Paul wrote nine letters to seven churches. Of all those nine letters to seven churches, do you know how many of them even mention the gift of tongues? One. And it's in the book of 1 Corinthians because it was a carnal church that was immature and misusing the gifts. Paul wrote four letters to three spiritual leaders. Do you know how many times he mentions the gifts of tongues? Zero. <laughs> uh, Peter, John, James, and Jude wrote seven letters to Christian people. They never mentioned the spiritual gift of tongues. 
Hear me when I say there was no emphasis in New Testament days, even when that spiritual gift was active, on the spiritual gift of tongues. Listen, there is a great disservice being done to sincere Christian people when tongues is a focus of what goes on in their church and what is described as Christian spirituality. And even more so when we understand last week's thought that the sign gifts passed away with the death of the last apostle and the completion of the New Testament. But just because charismatic Christian people abuse and mishandle this spiritual gift, it does not mean that there isn't anything you and I should learn or know about tongues. I mean, after all, there are three instances in the book of Acts where Christian people under some circumstance spoke in tongues. And all this brings up a good question. What is the spiritual gift of tongues? Uh, we just read how uh, it is a gift that some, but not all Christian people had, even in New Testament times. We know from our study last Sunday night that it was one of the sign gifts that we're specifically told would cease with the completion of the New Testament. Do you remember that? Look at chapter 13 and verse 8. It's right there near where we are. He says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And we spent a long time last week talking about how that is not linked with the coming of Christ, but rather the completion of the New Testament, which was incomplete, when the book of 1 Corinthians was written. All this, even when the sign gift of tongues was act, uh, active, it was not a focus, and every Christian person did not have it. And so Paul begins teaching the Corinthian people in his first book to them about the spiritual gifts. He taught them the superiority of charity, love and action, to all these spiritual gifts, and especially the sign gifts in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, so some were better than others, yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. What is that excellent way? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, have not charity. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What is the superior thing to all these gifts, and in particular, the sign gifts? It is charity, love, and action. It is a more excellent way than seeking prominent and public spiritual gifts. Have you ever prayed, God help me love more? Have you ever prayed, God help me love your people more? Have you ever prayed, God help me love my family more? God help me love those who don't yet know Christ more. God help me love those who are not like me more. That is a more excellent way than you and I praying for a spiritual gift of any sort. Love is more excellent because the gift of tongues would cease. Love is eternal. And like we learned last week, more valuable than faith and more valuable than hope, though they are valuable now, none of those things are eternal things. Now, by the time, at the time Paul wrote this letter, tongues had not yet ceased. And because the New Testament was not complete, Paul wants to teach them the gift of tongues was supposed to be and how it was supposed to be used in the church. Now what he's going to teach them that we're going to cover in a couple of moments here, it would have been a tough pill to swallow for the Corinthian believers. 
they loved the spiritual gift of tongues as they were using it. It made them feel spiritual and superior spiritually to the people around them. It edified them as individuals. It made them tingle. And there's something appealing to living by feeling rather than living by faith. Now, what is the spiritual gift of tongues? First off, understand that the tongue just means language. And so when you read tongues, plural, it's referring to languages. The gift of tongues is the gift of languages. Now, there is a natural gift of languages. People learn language by studying school or by living in a culture that speaks a different language. There is a natural ability to learn languages, and that is obviously still around and still active today. Now, most of us here only speak English, and some, that's still a little shaky. But most of us here only speak English. But a few here, you've learned another language in addition to English. You studied it. You learned it. You can speak it. And you have an ability to do that. Uh, And just like some of us have an ability to learn math, uh, others among us have an ability to learn language. Uh, By the way, whether unsaved people acknowledge it to be so or not, that's a gift from God. Uh, I don't have much gift in language myself. I had a lot of trouble learning English. And every time I go someplace where they speak another language, I'm reminded that despite my effort, I don't have a lot of ability. Now, some of you are like that in math. And you went, uh, by the time you got in uh, pre-algebra, you thought to yourself, I'm not going to have a career in math. Uh, Others among us, and, and I'm like this, I love math. Uh, math comes to me super, super easily. You try to talk to me about verbs and adverbs and adjectives and, and, and all that stuff. Just, whoa, right over the top. There is a natural gift of learning languages. It's still around today. And by the way, you don't have to be saved to have it. There are all kinds of people without Christ in their life who learn languages. It is a natural gift from God. That is not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is a supernatural gift in languages that was given as a spiritual gift in the New Testament days as a sign from God. What was the spiritual gift of tongues? The spiritual gift of languages. Turn up just a page perhaps in your Bible to chapter 14. By the way, what I'm teaching tonight is not controversial from a biblical perspective. The only reason what I'm teaching is controversial at all is because people have seen and experienced something contrary to what I'm talking about tonight. 1 Corinthians, what is the the spiritual gift of tongues? Number one, tongues were a sign to the Jews promised in the Old Testament. Notice 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. It says, brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be you children, but in understanding be you men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that uh, will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11 to teach that it is a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 24, wherefore, in light of what I just said in verse 21, 
Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. Tongues are a sign to those who do not believe, and particularly unbelieving Jews. Keep your hand there, because this is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. And if you would go there, but keep your hand in Corinthians, because we'll be back there in a moment. Tongues were prophesied. God said in Isaiah's day, 700 years before the birth of Christ, that He was going to speak to His people through other languages, and even though He did that, they would still not believe. Paul says they're a sign to those who did not believe, especially the Jews. Second, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, that's the disciples, were all in one accord uh, in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, 15 times in the New Testament, someone is said to be filled with the Spirit. This is the only one of those 15. It's linked with the gift of tongues. They spoke, in verse 4, with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice in verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language. Not a heavenly language. The, the audience heard them speak in their own language. Verse 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man in our tongue wherein we were born. Now he's going to list 14 separate languages here. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and all parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Here it is. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Tongues is a person speaking an earthly language they did not know and in which they had no previous training. That's what the spiritual gift of tongues is. Uh, it is not much of a sign when someone speaks in a different language they've learned. But it is an incredible and a supernatural sign when someone speaks in a language they did not study and did not know, and that's exactly what went on. Uh, listen, when somebody speaks in another language, you don't get any of it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, uh, but if you've ever been uh, in another country where they're preaching in another language, I mean, I, I'm sitting there listening to somebody preaching in, in, in Spanish, and I know a hundred nouns and like three verbs, and every once in a while I catch corazon, and every once in a while I catch salvation, and uh, romanos, and it, whatever. Uh, listen, I don't get at all what they're talking about. But think about how supernatural it is for someone to speak in a language they have not learned that was understood by someone who listened to them. Tongues were a sign to the unbelieving Jew. Now, because tongues were uh, a known language to someone on earth, but unknown to the speaker, and you can go back to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, if you would please. The Bible 
uh, promotes praying and singing with our understanding instead of in tongues. By the way, that makes good sense. I mean, think about it. You pray in an unknown tongue, how do you know what to thank God for? You can't thank God for an answered prayer if you prayed in an unknown tongue. You don't know what you prayed for. Notice he promotes praying and singing with understanding because tongues is an earthly language unknown to the speaker and known to one of the hearers. Look in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? What good is it? I'll pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Verse 16, else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? No one's going to say amen if you're praying or singing in a language they don't understand, uh, tongues is an earthly language unknown and unlearned to the speaker, but known to someone who is listening. Now when we compare what the Bible teaches that, about tongues, that it is an earthly language unknown to the speaker, but known to a hearer, uh, when we compare that to what's going on today, you can't help but conclude that what's going on today is very different. See, in the modern tongues movement, people are allegedly speaking in a heavenly language not understood by the speaker or the hearer. If there is a heavenly language, it's Hebrew. You say, why? Because when Jesus spoke to Paul from heaven on the Damascus Road, he spoke in the Hebrew language. I'm reading a book now that's talking about the root of all the genetics and the root of all languages and he makes the case of Hebrew being the original language. I'm not smart enough to understand everything he's talking about, but I do know the Bible says Jesus spoke Hebrew to Paul from heaven. So if there's a heavenly language, it's Hebrew. Uh, by the way, whenever God spoke to somebody in the Bible, he spoke in the language they spoke. Whenever God sent an angel to speak to somebody in the Bible, they spoke in the language of the person the angel brought the message to. Uh, that, that's the Bible. Uh, you can argue with that all you want, but that's the Bible. Listen, there have been many recordings of someone allegedly speaking in tongues taken to linguistic experts, and never have they ever said that this is a known language. Never. In the first century, when the spiritual gift of tongues was still active, if you would have went to Corinth or to the day of Pentecost and you would have recorded what they said and taken that to a linguistic expert, that expert would have said, well, that's the Parthian language. That's the Egyptian language. That, that, it would have been a known language. And then if you would have done your investigative work, you would have found out that that person speaking, they didn't know that language. That's what the spiritual gift of tongues was in the Bible. The spiritual gift of tongues is someone who did not previously know a language speaking an earthly language to someone who's listening who understands that language. Say, so why are you taking the time on this? Because I want us to understand what the spiritual gift of tongues is 
so that when we're exposed to something else, we'll know that it's false. Which gets us to our second thing. The spirit, what is the spiritual gift of tongues? Number two, uh, the spiritual gift of tongues was a low-priority gift even when it was active. Now today, you, you know, uh, sincere believers are all taught to seek this. It was a low-priority gift even when it was active. Uh, go back to chapter 12 there, verse 28. It says, And God hath set some in the church. Notice He lists them in order. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, so that's four, fifth, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Uh, it was a low priority gift then. Uh, please don't get angry at me for that. We're just studying what the scriptures say. Remember, the issue is not the sincerity of the speaker today. I cast no dispersion, or aspersion, whatever the right word is, uh, doubt on the sincerity of the person doing this, none. The issue is not their sincerity. The issue is the truthfulness of what they're saying they're doing. A tongues was at the bottom of the list, and it was not among the best gifts that are given when it comes to the spiritual gifts. The best gifts were the permanent ones. The best gifts were gifts that built the church instead of the speaker. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Why is speaking in a foreign language doesn't edify anybody who doesn't understand it? That builds up the speaker. Uh, God says don't seek gifts that build up the speaker. Seek gifts that build up the church, that build up other people. That's the real purpose uh, of the gifts. Uh, they were an inferior way to communicate in the church. Look at verse 5. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather, and I've got those two words underlined in my Bible because people that promote this as something people should be doing, they just quote the first sentence. I would that you all spake with tongues. They stop there. Now notice what he says, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except the interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Why is prophecy superior to tongues? Because it helps people. They understand what's being said. Listen, no one is helped by someone babbling about. Uh... It's a way that somebody babbles and people say, oh, wow, look how spiritual. Wow, God just touched them. That's not building up the church. Amen? Paul wanted them to desire the spiritual gift of prophecy rather than tongues so that others would be built and helped. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, even so ye, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Say, why? Because when tongues speaking in a foreign language you didn't know is interpreted, it's just like prophecy. You're speaking truth to people they understand. Amen. Since nobody else says it, I'll say it. In fact, Paul 
He just flat out comes and says, hey, this is an inferior way of communicating in the church. Verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine, and even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound. How shall it be known what is piped or harp? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? You say, what's that got to do with anything? Listen, if I went over to the piano and just pounded, uh, it would mean nothing to you. If I went over and played the tune, great is thy faithfulness. Anybody who knew that tune, your mind would go to the faithfulness of God. And, and he says, listen, when you're babbling on in a language that no one around you understands, you're not helping them because they don't know what you're talking about. And then he talks about the sound of a trumpet. In those days, uh, the military, they controlled their troop movements by a trumpet. And there were certain trumpet sounds that caused like the right flank to charge or the left flank to retreat or uh, this group to do this. And they would sound the trumpet because they had to communicate over the sounds of battle. And, and Paul says, listen, if nobody understands what sound the trumpet is making, it doesn't do anybody any good. It does no one any good. It does not edify the church for someone to babble on in a so-called heavenly language. And it also, in the days of Corinth, it did no good for someone to speak a foreign language that people in the church did not understand what they were speaking. The spiritual gift of tongues had a low priority even when it was active. It was an inferior way to communicate, an inferior way to pray, and in an inferior way to sing. In fact, number three, Paul gave a lot of restrictions on the use of tongues in the church. Remember, when Paul wrote this book, the spiritual gift was active. He puts a lot of restrictions even then on how it should be done. Look at chapter 14, verse 18. Chapter 14, verse 18. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now again, that's a verse quoted out of context. We'll add the context to it in, in a moment. By the way, Paul was highly educated. Uh, Paul's Roman citizen would have known Latin. We know from different places in the New Testament, he spoke the common language of the day, uh, Greek. Uh, we know that he spoke Hebrew. He addressed the Jewish people in the Hebrew tongue. Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. He knew at least three languages, and his ministry was traveling around all over that region where there were many cultures and languages, it is no surprise at all that Paul, both with the natural gift of tongues and the spiritual gift of tongues, spoke with different languages more than anyone else. Notice the context. Verse 19, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. By the way, that is a key statement if you actually care about this issue. Uh, if you're sitting in a charismatic church, what they would do in order to try to get you to do this, they would say, well, Paul said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. In context, Paul, <laughs> that's not what he's saying at all. It is an introductory statement to the fact that in the church, He'd rather speak 10,000 words and be understood than 
show off the fact that he can speak five words in another language. Now, if a person speaks 200 words a minute, which from what I understand is about average, I probably speak a little faster than that myself, but that's about average from what I understand for a public uh, speaker. That's 50 minutes worth of speaking versus five words. Do you get the idea Paul didn't want this in the church? Yeah? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, the spiritual gift of tongues was restricted in the church. In fact, he makes it clear his goal was to speak with understanding. And his instruction on this gift mattered more then than it does today because it was an active gift in those days. Notice how even when the gift was active, how he says to use it in the church. Verse 27. It says, if a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. And that by course, that means take turns, and let one interpret it. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Did you hear that? When the gift was active in the church, it was not something that a bunch of random people were all doing at the same time. It was something, even when the gift was active, that was not to be done by more than two or three people at the most taking turns, and only if someone interpreted what was said. Now, I don't know if you have any experience in charismatic churches. Some of you do, some of you don't. I don't know if you've ever watched YouTube videos or what goes on in some of these kinds of places, but I just want to tell you, it would be a very rare thing for this to be practiced in that manner. And then Paul puts even further restrictions on it. In the context of prophecy and tongues, notice what he says next in verse 34. He says, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. By the way, the context is tongues and prophecy. That doesn't mean women can't sing. It doesn't mean women can't testify. It doesn't mean women can't teach other women and children. In the context of tongues and prophecy, God says no women. Compare that to what goes on today. But by the way, what I'm talking about is not rocket science in the Bible. It's only controversial at all because of what we see going on. Say, Brother Wally, if tongues is an earthly language, not previously known to the speaker, but understood by a hearer, that passed away with the completion of the New Testament, and tongues is not really supposed to be any kind of a focus in the church, and if it is done in the church, even when the gift was active to only have two or three people do it, only taking turns, and only with an interpreter, what is it that's going on today? There's no universal answer. I mean, the answer varies from person to person, from congregation to congregation. Uh, some of it's emotionalism. And people are worked up emotionally by music. Some of it is a response to peer pressure to make sounds. Go ahead and Google 
how do I speak in tongues? And you'll find somebody instructing you there to open your mouth and loosen your tongue and just let it go. Some of it is sincere people just being prompted by people they trust. Listen, sincere people who've never bothered to personally look at this stuff themselves. Remember, not bad people, sincere people. People who are being hurt by their spiritual leaders and their own spiritual ignorance. And that, should, that really should anger us at their leaders more than anything. Some of it is spiritual deception. And it's Satan taking advantage of sincere people who are ignorant. By the way, one of the things, if you ever, again, do some research on this, you'll find that uh, tongues, as it is practiced by the charismatics, also characterizes a lot of uh, idol worship. Go go check out what goes on in in India under the name uh, of Brahmin or uh, Vishti or whatever my, my name my mind is going blank at the end of the na- end of the day or Shiva or or one of these uh, Hindu deities and, and watch what goes on in their name and you're going to find them babbling. Some of it's satanic deception. You and I are never supposed to judge anyone's motives. Only God sees those. But you and I are supposed to judge what we can see and what we can hear and compare that with the Scriptures. And what's going on today in general is little or nothing like tongues in the New Testament. Say, Brother Wally, why spend a whole message on the gift of tongues since it ceased and and we don't practice it here at Bible Baptist Church? Uh, First, I want you to be able to understand and discern what's going on around you. In many cases, by faithful, sincere Christian people who who would look at people like you and I and say, well, they're saved, but they they just really, they haven't got it yet. Uh, Why do this? So you can be more stable in your Christian life. I, I want you to be stable. Listen, some of the most unstable people you'll ever meet in the Christian world are in charismatic churches. They're driven and motivated, uh, though very sincere, by emotionalism. And so when their emotion is high, they're doing great. And when emotion is low, they're doing terrible. I don't want that for you. I want you to be stable in your faith in Christ and in the Word of God. I want If I believe this was for today, I would want it for us here at Bible Baptist Church. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. And I want here things that honor and please Christ. Amen. You quietly stand.